You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today we're talking about how to effectively teach remotely and some effective teaching strategies to all age categories from elementary, middle school, high school, and all the way through higher education. And some strategies involve problem solving, lecture, demonstration, questioning, storytelling, drill and practice, and spaced repetition. Today's guest has some interesting information. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Maggie Broderick to discuss effective teaching strategies. Dr. Broderick is a curriculum director and associate professor at the Sanford College of Education at National University. She served as a dissertation chair and a founding director of the Advanced Research Center. Dr. Broderick has taught online at various universities and previously taught on ground in both higher education and pre-K through 12th grade education in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. And thank Thank you for joining us. We welcome you to the podcast, Dr. B. How are you? Oh, thanks, Kim. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. A very impressive background. And, and why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work and your passion before we get to today's show topic? Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite a journey. Um, I love sharing with other teachers. Uh, it's sort of interesting to see how our, our paths form. Mm -hmm. I started off teaching PK through 12, like you mentioned. Um, and when I was starting off, I was mostly in a German magnet school in the city of Pittsburgh in the 1990s. Yeah, so I, um, I taught music and German there. So um, yeah, yeah. So like I was doing like little German folk dances and teaching them to sing in German. And then as time went on, I got my PhD in education. Um, in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, I started uh, changing my path because I had my first child mm -hmm. um, in 2002. And so I started veering towards higher ed. Mm -hmm. And um, I now have, I have a 21-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And so, you know, time keeps going on. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, you know, I've been teaching higher ed on ground and in person, like online and also, um, you know, various things during that time. Right. And um, I found online teaching at the right time um, sort of to balance that as a mom and as a teacher. Um, and so since that time, I've done a ton of different things, um, faculty, dissertation chair, administrative roles, uh, scholarly stuff, um, like you mentioned, curriculum director. So like a lot of different hats um, since that early time being a K-12 teacher or PK through 12 teacher in that German magnet school. I, you know, I bet you have a lot of former students that come to you and will you, they remember the folklore and the German, and that's something that is, you know, that you don't always hear about every day. So that's pretty awesome. And I hope you speak German to your kids, or did you? <laughs> Since you oh, thanks. It's a lot. It's fun. I mean, yeah. I, I just love that stuff. So lots wow. of fun. That's great. Today, we are talking about how to effectively teach remotely. And I, you are ahead of the curve, probably doing this, um, it sounds like, before the pandemic. So, uh, Dr. Broderick, it sounds like you've taught a lot of levels as well, from children in PK-12 uh, schools through higher education. What is it like to teach at various levels and contexts? I do. I love it. Um, so for me, you can kind of see from when I was saying earlier, I just like to wear a lot of different hats and try a lot of different things. 
and um, it keeps me sharp, keeps me on my toes. Um, I know not everybody's like that, but for me, it's really energizing. And then by doing that, like you said, you know, all these different ages, picture your three-year-old children Mm -hmm. all the way up to adult learners. I mean, how incredible to see all those developmental phases of human beings going through learning, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's just kind of incredible to see that spark. You know, I even had a student who was in her 80s. (laughs) So. Oh. Isn't it incredible? So like an online student in her 80s. Um, and so like to see people embracing learning, whether it's a little three-year-old doing a little, you know, song that we're learning together, or that 80-year-old online student um, before the pandemic, um, you know, it's just just incredible. But, but what remains the same is really that heart, right? Mm-hmm. It's really that relationship between the teacher and the student, whether it's that little three-year-old or that 80-year-old online learner or anybody else, it's that that relationship. And then knowing that they're loving learning yeah. and seeing that kind of spark, right? Um, so honestly, if it's anything from small children to somebody writing their dissertation, mm-hmm. you see that spark for learning, you see that excitement, and that, that's what drives me personally. I love that. I have a, a question for you about that too. Is there a, a style of learning that you've seen that really works best across all age groups? Is it storytelling? Is it, like you said, they were doing the folklore or the dancing, the German dancing, like things like that where you're actively engaged is, and which might be hard to do when you're remotely, but is there a, would you say anything, a certain style that sticks with across all ages? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it goes down to that relationship thing and yeah. it's sort of like more about seeing the person as a human being. So. I'd say that the style is is more like, you know, realizing who who it is in the environment and what's exciting them and what's motivating them, right? And yeah. so when you see that, you just ride that wave, right? Um, so it's not necessarily going to be the same style, but it's knowing that everybody's going to have their own heart and their own excitement um, for the learning and grabbing that and realizing whatever developmental stage they're at, um, how you can harness that and really connect with them meeting people where they're at. And um, it sounds like you've done that successfully. Uh, Times obviously have changed over the past few years with regard to how people teach and learn. And I guess, can you just talk about the changing times? Uh, You know, you've kind of been through it all along with the different age levels, but what about the times that have changed? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? And um, you mentioned briefly, like, COVID and teaching before COVID and during and all that. Um, I'm just thinking about my own kids. Like my oldest just turned 21 and then, you know, yeah, and I've got a 17 and a 12 year old. And like, if I look at that 21 year old versus that 12 year old and their experiences in life, it's vastly different. Um, My 21 year old had VHS tapes. We went to the library, we picked up VHS tapes, we got DVDs, we got CDs. Um, He remembers all that stuff. The internet existed, but it was it was not what it is today. Um, most of his schooling occurred before COVID. Senior year was 2020, yeah. <laughs> and so. But but the 12 year old has had a vastly different um, circumstance in terms of the tech that's been available, yeah. um, mobile technology, smartphone, social media, and then COVID, going through all of that right remote. That was two years of her life, um, very crucial developmental time, and so I think like when we think about those things. We have to think about digital literacy, what it's going to continue to change into, 
you know, we're thinking about chat GPT now, we're thinking right. about you know, artificial intelligence and all this stuff, right? What's going to happen next, right? So we have to really think about how it's going to keep changing personally. And it's not going to stop. It's, it's going to accelerate. I mean, even in the last 20 years, like it's going to become even more. So I think, I think that's kind of where my mind is on that. And it has gone by so quickly just with, you know, the technology advances and everything. And it is interesting to me. So you did kind of just talk about how, you know, that your reflections on those changes due to the pandemic as well. But I think it's so interesting about your children's ages. Um, you know, you're a 21 year old, I have a 22 year old and a 24 year old. And so they, they didn't get cell phones until middle school. So they didn't grow up with it in their hands, but maybe perhaps, I don't know if your younger one, um, ha, you know, it, it is a difference in the ability and the availability availability of those of that technology. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. And you know, try as you may to to shut it down, they find a way, right? So, <laughs> so we have to be mindful. Of, yeah. Yeah. Right. So we have to be mindful about it. We have to you know, just really reflect on it. We have to engage in, in conversations about it because uh, it, it's just not going away. Yeah. And I think the communication is key there. Uh, technology plays a huge role. It's like we we're just talking about whether a teacher is teaching on ground hybrid or online. So how does technology figure into everything across the board for, you know, you're, you're the perfect person to ask since you've engaged in all kinds. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, when I think back to that magnet school and, you know, we barely had anything, like we had to apply for a grant just to get any computers in 1997 in the, in the building and, um, and how times have changed. Um, kind of amazing. And honestly, technology is in all of our teaching now. So we were calling something the flipped classroom a while back, like maybe about 10 mm -hmm. years ago, there was this thing going around and it's still, it's still around. But I would argue that now almost anything is, is a flipped classroom. If you really think about it, we're putting stuff online out there um, for the students, whether they're an online student, a hybrid student, an on-ground student, most of them have something that's happening on a computer. Um, and that really wasn't as much the case, you know, for my oldest child, um, the 21 years old, and even for my dissertation uh, in 2004, I had to bring paper <laughs> to them at the school. Um, and so the content's available for a person to peruse. And, and even if it isn't, they're going to go look up those YouTube videos and say, hey, I have a hack for this. I'm, I'm going to find out how to learn this and go faster than that teacher if they're so inclined, <laughs> if yeah, they're motivated. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we have all sorts of integrated things. And I would argue, you know, that, that most things are sort of, um, you know, a hybrid uh, situation. And really, we have to think about everybody also being all over the world now. They're not just in a local situation. Um, so you have a very diverse student body of a lot of different type of people in your classrooms. Um, like I said, I had an 80 year old and, and we have mm -hmm. to, we have to meet them where they are, right? We have to realize that, you know, these supports are there, everything's sort of online. And we also have to see them um, for the unique person that they are and how they may approach things. So you are walking right into the next question. I do want to ask you about your 80 year old because kudos to, I don't know if it's male or female. Maybe it's a female. Is she female? She, yeah, she, she. female. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I just, I have such a heart for seniors and I feel so 
you know, they're in, this is not their world, you know, their phones, um, technology. And I remember being in line just a few months ago at the passport office and there was a a sweet elderly lady in front of me. And um, the, the girl behind the counter was getting frustrated because she couldn't really understand that technology. And I kind of had to step in just to say, give her a little break, you know, just let's be kind. And um, so tell me what that's like to teaching at that 80 year old level and, and really meeting her where she's at. Yeah, yeah. It's inspiring. I mean, the yeah. thing is she chose to enroll in an online class, right? She she pushed that button. It was before COVID that, that I had this student, though I've had some other ones that are you know, not quite 80 years old, but, you know, um, uh, definitely older than me. And um, they made the choice because they were motivated. Yeah. They were interested. But then they might have needed, like you said, a little extra something, a little extra, um, you know, availability or a little extra um, touch, yeah. whatever you want to say. So it's really meeting them where they are and realizing, oh, this person seems a little anxious. They want to be here, yeah. but they're missing something. There's something, and it could be anything. It could, it doesn't have to be age. It could be a lot of different reasons why they need. So it's being in tune with that. Um, sometimes in the classroom, we call that with itness, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that online, right? To be with it. But that's a term they've used like since the seventies, because it's a very seventies sounding term, it is. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so the like being sort of with it, it's still it's still true, like realizing, oh, I see this student is conversing in a certain way. Oh, they need me to do this extra thing that's not in my job description, but it's going to help. I can do this. I'll provide this extra PDF or whatever I need to do, this extra link that they didn't quite see in the course room. I'm going to email it to them. Whatever the case may be, it's um, you know meeting them where they are and at the point of need so they're not frustrated and anxious. Um, that's That's what it's all about. And, you know, and you can't even said it, if it means extra time with them where you're not online with your students, but, you know, and maybe other students are like, come on, can we get to this? It's that extra effort on the backside. And um, so I kudos to you. I think that's awesome. And I think your 80 year old student is a hero. Good for her and a lifelong Uh learner. Uh, You know, and the other thing is just their experience, what they can share about their own life and what they've seen in this lifetime. I think that's, that's something we don't always hear every day. Um, exactly. Tell me a little bit about Zoom and other meeting spaces like that have become so popular. And how does all of that figure in with teaching online and the hybrid and and, and all and on the ground? Isn't it? It's like amazing to think about like the before times, right? right? <laughs> before the pandemic, like I knew what Zoom was and some people knew what Zoom was, but a lot of people didn't. Um, I'm in a choir. I, I still sing and oh. I'm in a choir here in Pittsburgh and I love it. I sing soprano. And um, at that time, almost no one else in the choir knew what Zoom was and suddenly we're shut down for the pandemic. Right. And I said, hey guys, um, we might not be able to sing together so much, but we can at least say hi and I'll mm-hmm. put together a little Zoom for us, right? Um, but now that sounds almost silly. It's, it's only three years later, but now almost everybody can FaceTime, can Zoom, can all these other things, right? My, my mom figured out um, some things because she wanted to see her grandchildren. Oh. And so, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of incredible to realize just, just a few years later. Um, but really, now that we all know what they are and they're ubiquitous, they can be those sort of synchronous touch points that can really be that glue, to hold things together. Um, if a lot of the learning experience is online, like I said, sort of like more hybrid-y, um, then it can be more self-directed, which is empowering, but it also can feel isolating, 
right? It can also feel very kind of like, I'm just doing this all myself and there's no community. And so it can bring that classroom culture in and that sense of belonging. If you have like a fun interactive Zoom and you have an open sort of thing where it's not even necessarily a lecture, it's just sort of a like I said about the choir, we weren't able to sing together. It just wasn't going to work, <laughs> but right. we were able to say hi. And it, you know, a lot of people in that choir needed that. Um, they were alone in their houses. Um, I did some research with colleagues and we found that in some of these Zoom classrooms during COVID, um, people turned off their cameras and it didn't feel a sense of belonging. They felt like they were talking to a blank screen, right? Mm -hmm. That was a big theme from our research. And so anything we can do mindfully like don't force someone to turn their camera on but you know because there could be all kinds of reasons not to but to encourage then we can build community online um if people want to buy into that um and feel comfortable then we can really have time together to create that rapport that relationship and that feeling of belonging so i'm curious because you were doing this pre-covid and pre um you know the pandemic what was your were you using zoom before or was there another um uh, way that you were talking and doing your online classes. How did that look? Yeah. Oh, it's been really interesting. I feel like somebody should write a dissertation. Maybe they did. <laughs> Maybe they have about how it changed. Um, so being in online higher ed since around 2009, um, it really was almost all asynchronous at that time in a lot of places. So if you would be teaching an online course in 2009, 2010, you really wouldn't have a synchronous component with Zoom. If you did, it was spotty. It didn't work so well. The tech was uninviting. It felt clunky. It felt really clunky. Um, I remember one time it totally didn't work. Three students showed up. This might have been like 2010, 2011. And they seemed a little like lonely and they just wanted to connect. And the recording, uh, nothing was working with the video and audio. So I just started typing to them as if we were on like, uh, you know, internet relay chat in the, oh, 1995 yeah. or something. We were right. just typing and that's, it was okay. But now, I mean, it's amazing how far we've come. Um, people are isolated. They're lonely. They are searching for connection. and the audio and video really help um, to bring that to life. So yeah, we've had some clunky technologies that have sort of worked, but um, now we have much better technology. Oh, we do. And it's just kind of cool that you have, you've been there all along the way. I um, may have skipped a question. So I just wanted to go back and say, ask you about some of the specific tips and strategies for teaching various age levels on ground hybrid and online. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so a couple of words I always think about with that, um, I think of the words proactive mm. and supportive and responsive. I'm sorry, three words, three words. <laughs> but uh, you know, thinking about being supportive is part of that. So you're supportive because you are proactive and you are responsive. So when you plan mindfully, when you're proactive and you set up your classroom. So let's picture my music classroom in you know, 1997. I put the instruments in a certain way. It's inviting the kids to say, I want to play those instruments. That looks cool. And then everything's set up in a way where they're not going to, let's face it, fight. <laughs> you know, They're going to get along. So it's set up in a proper way where everything is the classroom management set up proactively, right? Um, and then I'm responsive. So let's say something does go wrong. Um, somebody is sad because they hit a wrong note or somebody's neighbor is poking them because let's face it, they're, you know, 
seven years old and <laughs> they do that, then, then you are responsive um, to the situation. It's exactly the same. Um, and sometimes you do have to react, like there are emergencies, right? But it's exactly the same thing um, online, just like an in-person classroom, you set it up, um, you set up the space mindfully so they can find the drop boxes, mm -hmm. so they can find where to submit their work, so they can find where to get support systems like for help if they need academic coaching, or if they need mental health and emotional support, um, if there's a link to go to those types of resources. Um, you set things up so that people in discussion boards see each other's responses, respond mindfully, and maybe don't have fights on a discussion board, right? Yeah. So it's the same exact thing as these seven-year-olds not hitting each other with the mallets of the, of the xylophone, yeah. right? You want to have it set up mindfully. So it's proactive, responsive, and then, you know, at the same time being supportive of, of um, all of that by, by doing it that way. Okay. Okay. Oh, I, that, that is really interesting. It's a great analogy. Um, what about the learning management system, LMS, and, uh, or other shared online spaces for teachers and students? Oh, yeah, yeah, that figures in so well with what you mentioned about sort of the Zoom. Like, like I said, that used to be super clunky, right? So, so we depended so much on the LMS. Um, we still do. It, I was a curriculum director now. I'm seeing that behind the scenes. So, you know, when people set that up really mindfully and really think about how they're setting up um, what's needed for students, then the students can be really self-directed. Um, they're able to actually go in and do work at 3 a.m. if they need to. Okay. Um, and let's face it, our adult online learners, gosh, they are busy. Yeah. So, you know, they have the opportunity to do what they need, get it done, go to work the next day. And then if they need me, you know, they can reach out. Um, and so it's, it's really pretty common to follow like a certain formula and sort of the discussion boards and things like that. I'm pretty guilty of that. Like we kind of follow a certain way of doing it. But I would say, you know, as the tech continues to evolve and as things become a little more exciting with the LMS and we're getting more buttons and bells and whistles, that you can be creative. You can do yeah. all kinds of things like having video responses and, and having like, you know, all kinds of different multimedia. So pretty cool stuff you can do nowadays that you couldn't do, say, 10 years ago. You know, and uh, just a little quick thing. I, I remember being in a classroom. Um, I was uh, just touring a school for my kids when they were younger. And I remember that teachers uh, were talking about just the history of Thanksgiving. And they put out all of the foods that would have been there. And it was super interactive. And I thought, boy, what a great way for these young kids to learn and be a part of it because they kind of reenacted or, you know, ate the food and, had, you know, they, they discussed the history, but if they became a part of it, too. So um, I know it. it might be a little more difficult online, but um, are some things trickier to teach hybrid or online than in person? I guess that would kind of go hand in hand with what I just told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Because like you can't sample that food, right? Right. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. Right. A lot of your senses, there's no smell-o-vision, unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately, depending, you I know. know right? Don't always have all the all the senses. Um, so some things do naturally work great online. Um, some things actually, you know, make sense. Um, for example, doctoral education, um, it's exploded in the past couple of decades. Like I said, people are so busy, but yeah. they want to get that advanced degree. They are not going to quit their job for four years. Uh, they have to pay their, their rent, their mortgage, whatever. Yeah. And they have a life, they have a family. So that has exploded and we've made great strides and they're self-directed online learners. Other things don't work quite well. Um, I wrote a blog about that uh, a while back during COVID called How Do You Teach That 
in mm. caps online. Um, there were examples of like during COVID children who would be taking their physical education class and they'd have to go into like a closet in their house to do the jumping jacks because, you know, other people were in the space and that that's tricky. T teaching phys ed to children online during the pandemic, insanely difficult. Um, music, similar, right? Some things don't work quite as well, but honestly, um, when you have such a difficult thing as COVID, people become incredibly innovative. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing people find ways to do things. I see people doing music things online mm. that I never could have imagined before COVID because they're teaching a violin lesson online. They never would have maybe done that before. So mm. kind of incredible, like necessity is the mother of invention kind of thing. Absolutely. No, I love that. And I'm glad to hear you. I'm also a singer. Um, I was a second soprano. So <laughs> I'd Ooh. love to hear you someday, right? <laughs> we should sing together. <laughs> I know, right. But this is great information. We have to take a quick break, but uh, more in just a moment. Don't go away. We will be. And now a national university tip on getting started. For me personally, I knew I wanted to pursue an education due to what I wanted to do in, in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree, that you know you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you wanna do. It helps you figure out what you wanna do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them to go down to that college office. They can guide you and, and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen. Now back to our interview with Dr. Maggie Broderick, and we're talking, so it's so interesting about effective teaching strategies. Um, and so Dr. Broderick, there are many different types of learners. What teaching strategies work best in various situations? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really, we touched on that a little bit, and it's really kind of incredible. Our world is global now. I mean, you mm -hmm. can teach people online. I had a student um, who was in um, American Samoa. Oh, wow. Some people don't even know American Samoa exists. It's a tiny place with 500,000 residents. Um, they're diverse in every way. It's not just what you might think of on the surface, right? So we might think about ethnic diversity, racial diversity, very important to consider. Socioeconomic diversity, first generation college students, um, all kinds of people, immigrants, um, gender and sexuality, understanding people's differences there. Um, just people, you know, from every possible, you know, intersectionality of diversity, um, you can't think one size fits all anymore. You just can't. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we sort of used the phrase earlier, meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we have to do. Um, and we it's hard because teachers don't have a lot of time, no matter what level, from those three-year-olds, three -year uh, teachers teaching preschool, all the way through these 80-year-old, mm -hmm. everybody's busy. Yeah. But it's super important that we take a moment and just reflect and take a step back and put ourselves in their shoes yeah. 
and just kind of have some empathy and reflect on what does it feel like to them. Um, so they're bringing their perspective, their prior knowledge. I think you mentioned earlier about my 80-year-old student. Yeah. Um, we, we need to just be open-minded, um, thinking about, again, being proactive and responsive to their needs because you really aren't going to have two of the same. <laughs> they're all going to be different and something that might make someone feel welcome might make someone else feel unwelcome. So we have to make cast a wide net and make sure that our curriculum is designed proactively, make sure we really take that step back and go, well, what if somebody is different, has a difference in their gender expression, has a difference in their socioeconomic background, has some other kind of cultural thing? How, how are we most welcoming? How are we making sure to be inclusive? It's hard. I mean, we really have to take that time to reflect and take a step back and just, you know, really see it that way, I think. And I like that. I think empathy is your key word there. Um, and times have changed. How should teachers plan for instruction in on-ground hybrid or online learning environments? Oh, yeah, it's that word proactive. That's my favorite word. <laughs> Got to be proactive. Um, and it's not just at the beginning, right? I mean, it's not just setting up those instruments and like, hey, it's done. It's it's also ongoing. So in that online classroom, same thing, sort of ongoing maintenance. Oh, some links have broken. Um, my students will get frustrated at 3 a.m. when they log in and try to get their stuff after a 10-hour shift. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the link is in the classroom is broken. They can't do their work. That is, can you imagine the anxiety and frustration and can't contact the teachers 3 a.m. So really being smart about, you know, whether it's on ground, your physical items, or if it's online. And then a sort of even the things like um, time for time management and resting and reflection and realizing that um, all these things have to be built into your approach. Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about the whole human being and, you know, are they feeling anxious? Are they feeling like they have all their resources they need, whether they're physical resources or on this, you know, digital space? Um, having that forethought and that proactive nature is really, really important. Hmm. That's a good point. Um, what about how might teachers best support students' academic and social and emotional needs? And you, you have talked about this a little bit, but I don't know if there's anything specific else you, you'd like to talk about on these types of learning, um, um, you know, online classrooms, on, on ground and uh, hybrid. Yeah, I mean, that's social, emotional. I mean, I hate to bring back COVID and think about it, but we, ha we have all been through a shared experience, right? Mm -hmm. And it was hard. There is no one who said, yeah, that was a breeze. Awesome. Like, this is not, right? Yeah, right. right? No. Yeah. So we all get it, right? It was all really hard. And so I think we're all acutely aware now of people's needs, our own, and that other people have them too. Like, everybody went through that and had different bad things happen. And so we really have to think that this is a little harder to do in a hybrid or an online environment because there's no sort of face, uh, you know, gestures and facial expressions. And, you know, you, know, you might hear it in somebody's voice, but they might also be typing and you, you don't really know. Um, so it's being kind of that, that with itness again. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a social emotional with itness where you, you realize that uh, if they're in hybrid or on ground, it's sort of this two dimensional isolating thing. Um, so having things like support centers available, um, having these ways of helping. Uh, I think of that phrase, it takes a village. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you can't just say, oh, look, it's online, go learn, good for you. And you also can't just say it's online and call me if you need me. It's yeah. not enough. Um, so somebody might be at 3 a.m. feeling super anxious, super upset, or they might be really excited too. There might be something good happening and you want to be keyed in and you want to be with it about that. 
little harder to do online. Um, so we just have to think like maybe a phone call, maybe a Zoom, maybe some other way just to make sure we're, we're clued in and we have that with itness um, and the students know that we care. You know, and that's a good point. It kind of leads me into my next, you know, uh, question as to what really is the role of the teacher these days? Because it has changed so much. But um, just a, a quick question, you know, do you plan for having one-on-one? I mean, again, timing is everything, but only, does that kind of only bubble up where you would have a one-on-one Zoom or call with one of your students if there's a problem? Or is that kind of built in to, uh, you know, just... The, the program. Right. It depends. So I think it's it's both. So what's really interesting when you have online and hybrid um, is that sometimes there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. So I'm a curriculum director at the moment and I'm directing the curriculum. So, so I'm helping people to make sure their courses are built. And the person writing the course might not be the person teaching the course. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they should be mindful and they should be proactive in their planning. And then the person teaching the course should also do that. So there's a lot of kind of opportunities there. You, know, you can build it into the course. You can say, hey, we're going to have these synchronous sessions. We're going to have these opportunities to connect. And then maybe they're there or maybe there's not enough. And then the person teaching the course goes, oh, actually, I think we're going to need a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll have a celebration. You know, mm-hmm. Maybe it's not just all this person's anxious. Maybe it's that we need to have an extra thing at the end where we get together and celebrate some things. Maybe we do some kind of Zoom that way. And then, you know, definitely reaching out, um, not just trusting that everything's there and the person's all, all you know, getting what they need because they probably need some support in some way or another. Um, just along those same lines, I think we have to kind of move away from the idea that the teacher's just holding the knowledge, like a font of knowledge and that sage on the stage, they call it, right? Mm-hmm. And and they do. They are an expert. They're there because they're the expert, but they have to be able to let their guard down a bit and let the student teach them also and and embrace that and have a sense of community and balance that way. It's hard to be humble sometimes that way. Hey, I'm a professor, I have PhD and everything, but really we can learn from our students, right? We can learn from our students and we can show them, you know, we're all here, we're learning too, they're learning, mm-hmm. we're learning together and we do care. You know, I think that can really play across a lot of different roles, even doctor patient, because it's your body and you're the one saying, okay, I feel this. And so I think that's a, that's a really key point that, you know, you're lear- learning on both sides. Um, what do you see as a future as times keep changing for teachers and students on in-ground hybrid and online learning environments? Yeah, I mean, I think about this so much. I, I like science fiction. <laughs> I'm a science fiction fan. And gosh, you know, we could let our minds go wild, couldn't yeah. we? I mean, gosh, we could think about where where AI is heading and where all these other things will lead. Um, but it's not going to be science fiction, but it is going to happen fast. It is going to happen quickly. And we have to be agile and flexible and open enough to say, okay, hey, AI is on the horizon. Chat GPD is on our doorstep. We've got to make sure we're doing it this way and also understand that the students might know more than we do about this, right? And so we got to be thinking. And so, um, you know, basically, it comes down to motivation. Like that human element, that element is is key that, you know, why is the learner there in the first place? You know, they're not, they're hopefully not there to just cheat with chat GPT. They're there for some reason. Connect with them for that reason. Mm-hmm. Why are you here in this classroom? How can I actually serve you as the, you know, facilitator, the professor, the teacher? How can I help you reach your goals? 
And then it's authentic, right? And then it's like, okay, technology can help us reach those goals. Right. And it's pretty cool. So maybe embrace it knowing that it's uh, something you maybe don't, you won't know everything until you jump off the, right. <laughs> the thing. Right. But, you know, do it with, with a good heart and realize people are probably there to actually learn, hopefully, mm -hmm. and um, motivate and, and engage with that in mind and meet them where they are kind of with that human element in mind. Oh, that's great. I was just going to wrap it up by saying about the human element, but great. Um, it's exciting. And thank you for all that you have done and what you continue to do into the future. This has been a really interesting topic. And if you want more information, you can visit National University's website at nu.edu. And we look forward to your next visit, doctor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.